Thank you for having me back. Good morning to my peeps from Journey. Good to see you this morning. Let's see if you guys remember from last year. Christos Anesti. Anesti Alethi. So when I say Christos Anesti, you say Anesti Alethi, right? Christos Anesti. Anesti Christ is risen. Pray with me. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this beautiful morning. And thank you for this morning that changed everything forever. Thank you for retelling stories. Thank you for retelling our stories. Speak, Lord. We're listening. Amen. I don't know about you, but as I've thought about the story of my life, now some of you look at me and might not think it's been that long of a story, but it's had a couple twists and turns along the way. I don't know about you, but I wish I had an editor to go back. And at certain points in the story, when I went one way instead of another way, the editor can just go and scribble in something else. Let's be real. Any romantic relationship I attempted to get into during college, I wish that could be redone. Certain key moments um, when I knew there was something I wasn't supposed to do when I was younger and I did it anyways, I wish that could be redone. Times when I should have been a Christian and I should have showed Christ and I didn't, I wish that could be redone. When my baby sister came out to me, and I was the first of the siblings, but she did. I wish someone could go back and redo my reaction and told that story differently. And I don't know about you, maybe I'm not alone in this, maybe you're thinking back and there are parts of your story that you wish could be retold. To be honest with you, I think this is a tale as old as time. I think that any person in all of history could probably say the same thing. Over this last week, as we've been walking through these last days with Jesus and then walking through here at this beautiful morning, there was a text that I came across, and I can't quite tell you when, but it sat in the back of my mind And I think it kind of stewed there and percolated there until this morning when I woke up, it came and it hit me full force. And perhaps because of the Holy Spirit, perhaps drawing from something I've heard before, some thoughts began to coalesce. In Matthew 12, verse 40, Jesus said, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so for three days and three nights the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. And to be honest with you, beloved, and I hope you don't mind I call you that, I call my journey peeps that, uh, because I believe that we are all the ones that Jesus loves. So, beloved, as I was, I was wrestling with this text, I'm thinking, Jesus, um, why are you bringing this up? Kind of weird. Kind of a, a weird story, actually. Jonah being called by God to go and tell the Ninevites that bad things are about to happen 
and Jonah runs away and gets, uh, there's a storm in the ship, and Jonah tells the sailors, hey, it's my bad, my fault, throw me overboard. They think that's weird, too. They do. He gets swallowed by a big fish, and then he gets coughed up on land later, and then goes to Nineveh. So it's kind of weird, Jesus. Why would you be bringing this up? And especially why would you be bringing this up in correlation to you and the beautiful, amazing things you are about to do? Because let's just be real. That story's not a shining example, at least for Jonah. The dude's xenophobic at best and racist at worst. He looks at the Ninevites and he sees people that are beyond redemption, beyond saving, and he actually actively wants them to be destroyed. See, I had a misconception when I was younger is that Jonah ran because he was afraid, but actually he ran because he was more afraid of the grace of God than anything the Ninevites could do to him. So Jesus, why are you connecting yourself and why are you connecting the most amazing thing that's ever happened in human existence with the story of an angry racist? Because that's what Jesus Because the life of Jesus is actually taking our failures. And by all means, beloved, when you read the Hebrew Scriptures and you read the Old Testament, honestly, first off, we should be reading it in the lens of Jesus. Because if you don't, things get really weird really fast. Second, most of it should be viewed as a cautionary tale. What not to do. Read the book of Genesis sometime and look through it and realize that tale after tale after tale It's perhaps a a, a cautionary tale of how not to live your life. Because the people in Genesis befall calamity after calamity, and sometimes I wonder about the patience of God. But Jesus, with his life, takes those stories of failure and retells them with success. You see, Jesus, after he is born, he becomes a refugee in the land of Egypt like the people of Israel. And like the people of Israel, he comes out of Egypt and goes back to Palestine. And like the people of Israel, he wanders, maybe not 40 years, but he wanders for 40 days and 40 nights where? In the wilderness. And every time the people failed, Jesus succeeds. And in fact, Paul looks at the overarching life of Jesus and says, By the way, guys, you thought it was just the Exodus. Oh, no, it's much deeper than that. See, Jesus is the second Adam, Paul says. And then he goes back to the very fall of humanity and says, where we failed in our human weakness, Jesus succeeds. And Jesus retells the story with his life. And that is no different than with the story of Jonah. And what's interesting is what Jesus was instead of Jonah, perhaps what Jonah should have been when God first called him to go to Nineveh. You see, Jonah was exclusion, but Jesus was inclusion. Jonah wanted to keep them out. Jesus wanted to let everyone in. Jonah was about judgment. Jonah wanted to see God's judgment acted out on the populace. Jesus was about grace. And he longed to see God's grace made manifest in the lives of people. 
Jonah's story was perhaps about resuscitation, getting coughed up on land, but Jesus was about resurrection, and resurrection is much greater than resuscitation. It's becoming something altogether new and amazing and indescribable, much like that idea of how do we even celebrate this because the words we have are not sufficient to describe the amazing feelings that this invokes inside of us. Perhaps we need to borrow from Paul and call it a mystery. The mystery of incarnation. Perhaps the mystery of divine grace and forgiveness. The mystery of resurrection and the mystery of the joy that that sparks inside of each and every one of us. You see, beloved, Christ retold story after story. He would retell rabbinic stories and rabbinic examples. He would retell the law itself. And where before it was centered in judgment and condemnation, it now became a bastion of grace. See, when Jesus retells the stories, Jesus changes everything. He changes our understanding of death. See, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Because we as Christians have to acknowledge and have to believe because for Paul, the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of us is inseparable. You cannot have one without the other. Death is not the end. Perhaps it is just the pause, the stillness between the here and now and the there and not yet. Perhaps it's the Sabbath, it's the rest between this life and eternal life. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And because he rose, we too will rise. Jesus changes our understanding of power You see, people have it all wrong. We think power is about fear, and power is about control, and power is about getting as much as you can at the expense of someone else. And government after government after government has tried this and failed. See, it's interesting that Jesus didn't do a whole lot about the Romans because perhaps Jesus understood that empires come and empires fall. Because that type of power is not sustainable. Napoleon Bonaparte actually mentioned, he's like, look, Jesus compared to all the great conquerors of the world, myself included, he wins. Because his power was not based in fear and control like us. It was based in devout love. And at this moment, he said, millions upon millions of people are willing to die for him. Jesus changed our understanding. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for money. And it's that same type of power, that same servanthood power that we are called to. Because there is power in serving others. And there is something beautiful and amazing in empowering others. He changes our understanding of forgiveness. And we see this scene at the edge of the Sea of Galilee where Peter, poor Peter, who betrayed Jesus not just once but three times, 
is there. The same Peter that Jesus says, to how many times must I forgive my brother? Jesus says as many times as it takes. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? For as many times as Peter did it, Jesus would have done the same thing. For every time we betray the Son of God, and every time we fall short of the glory of God, grace is there to carry us and sustain us. Christ's forgiveness is not limited to the amount of times you say you're sorry. Grace abounds where sin abounds. In fact, as Paul says, grace superabounds, double abounds, hyperabounds. See, we think of forgiveness in human terms, and Jesus thinks of forgiveness in God's terms. It has no limit. It has no end. He changes our understanding of forgiveness. But Jesus, most importantly, changes our understandings of love, because let's be real, beloved, we are really bad at loving. And I will say that till the day I die. I will say that until Jesus comes back. That's why I will preach love every single time I stand up here. We are bad at loving. And Jesus has to change our understanding of love. Who are we supposed to love? Because it's easy to love those that love you, he says. But what's harder and more real is to love those that hate you and pray for those who persecute you. He changes our understanding of how far one goes for love because we see how far Jesus went for his life. No greater love than a man has in this that he would lay down his life for his friends. And he says, you are all my friends. He changes what we're supposed to do in our love. We give and we give and we give because that is what love does. Love gives. Love is patient. Love endures. But ultimately, Love wins. When Christ conquered the grave and the powers of death and sin and evil, he did it not with force or with violence. He did it with love. And it is that same love he shares with each and every one of us. So this Easter, as we rejoice and as we celebrate and as we steep ourselves in this glorious mystery of resurrection that perhaps we won't fully realize until we ourselves are resurrected and we see it firsthand. The question I want to ask you this morning, beloved, is how does your story need to be retold? Where does Jesus need to come in and edit your story? Because I believe Jesus can and I believe Jesus will, because we do not worship a dead God. We worship a living Christ who is here with you now through the Holy Spirit and can and will make these changes if you want it, and only if you want it. So, beloved, how does Jesus need to change your life?
appreciate it. Um, yeah, there you go, preach it, girl. First of all, whenever you do a sermon, whenever you start reading the scripture and you hide it in your heart during the week, God has a way of, let me show you how it really is. So I started doing the scripture throughout the week, and, and I'm tying things up at my current job, my current church I serve, and this, it's a large church. Um, this church was built by President Eisenhower. Um, his shovel sits in my office, his head's at the front of the church, and you know me, sometimes political in church, I'm going like, okay. So this week I pulled out, it was sitting on my sh shelf, one of his memoirs. And I'm reading his memoirs, and of course, Eisenhower was known to be one of the most fearless, bravest commanders who could make decisions without being fearful. And he opens up in this memoir, and he talks about that's not the case in the beginning. He said, I was always filled with fear. He said, there was a point in time where my family was, uh, there was an influenza epidemic that hit the area, and he was at the time a young man during World War I. His wife and his child was infected with it severely. The wife's sister just died from it. And he said, I was racked with fear. I didn't know what to do. And he said, then God brought a young medic into my life. He came in. He did not fear taking care of my child. He did not fear taking care of my wife because of his faith. And in that, he taught me what it meant to sterilize and, and, and do things so my family could be that. And he said, that was, God brought that person in my life. Well, well that's kind of crazy, especially the scriptures we're both sharing today. So I'm like, okay, Lord, thank you for that. Uh, I can see where that fits maybe in my sermon. But then yesterday, I get a call. I get a call, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of flattered because it's from this, this guy who's a big uh, contractor, developer. And he goes, Marsh, I want you to come up my house because I know you used to teach engineering and CAD in college, and I'm having this trouble, and I, I need you to help me with this. I'm going, cool. You know, the guy lives up on a hill. He's in a mansion. I'll go up there. So I walk up to the door, and, and I'm not into this stuff, but I literally hear God say, Marshall, I'm with you on this. I'm going like, why did I just hear that? So this gentleman didn't invite me in to help him with a computer problem. He invited me into what I would say is the eye of the hurricane. He and his spouse and his children, so much had been uncovered that week, infidelity, addictions, broken children, broken lives in such a way, and he wanted me to somehow come in and say the right words to save the family. And I'm going like, dude, that ain't me. But the only thing I had in my heart was this passage. The only thing that I could repeat to him and remind him who, who Christ is through Easter was what was found in that. And with that, would you come read the passage? I'm old enough to read a scripture always meant in a Bible. So it's funny for me to read from a phone. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. 
Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Crazy, fantastic thing. Doesn't God work really cool ways? So here I have this passage in my heart. And now I have to help this family understand a few things. First of all, in this passage, and I could see they were wrestling with it, God's problem. Is it really God's problem? Remember the series I've been talking about, so what? So what? What's Easter's all about? Who really cares? Remember, in the United States, this is the first time in history that people believe less in the Bible than more in the Bible. We have to be able to answer this. And so now I'm like, Lord... I guess I have to answer this. So the first thing I see revealed in this scripture is God's problem. We've got to trust him. We're in the middle of the problem, but here's what I hear when people are in them. Where is God in my problem? Where is he in this? Why doesn't God care about me? Why isn't he taking care of this? Is his hands tied or something? And it's, it's the wrong view. God acts through history, and if you see how he acts through history, his concern, he acts through personal lives and through people. God has the means, and he works through his people in that way. God does not work in some sort of vacuum, so where is God? Probably with the person right next to you. So when I am in a problem, I'm going, Lord, who are you going to send to help me through this? Or maybe I'm the one. No one can say that uh, God has not used people through history. God has revealed himself through history and through himself, through Jesus of, of Nazareth. His relevance in history identifies with our life so clearly. The history of salvation that he was able to demonstrate. Hmm. Did he um, have problems as a teenager or as a child? Was there bad times in his life? Was there political suffering in his time? Were there people that were hurting? Were there economic problems in Christ's time? Jesus did not come to the world just to preach right and wrongs. The message to me had such more of an essence. Jesus offers us a message of hope and with people. That they can live in it through through um, trials and tribulations, did Jesus believe that God the Father was with him all the way? That was the example that he set to us, that he was with us all the way. Jesus betrayed by uh, believed that God was with him when people turned on him. Jesus believed God uh, was with him when they hated him, ridiculed him, and, and there was vengeance. Jesus refused to take matters in his own hands himself and build a kingdom for himself. Jesus believed that the Heavenly Father is ruling, 
Can you think of a better thing to help somebody understand what the problem is? God's solution in this passage, it talks about the solution. It ended up on the cross. People hated Jesus for this simple thing. He was trying to teach us to trust God. He even said that. God raised Jesus from the dead to prove that he was able to bring new life out of old life, new creation out of old creation. So in this, I'm talking to this family, and I'm saying, you guys, there is new life. There is promise. Do you see the promise we have in Easter? That other part of that, pro- that passage that was read, and I love this. I love being able to see this because this is the truth. God chooses you. God chooses you to accomplish acts of mercy. God chooses you to share love, just like what Pastor just said. God chooses you for something special in his plan. And when I see people defeated and Satan's whispering uh, that they're done and it's over, that's the truth that's robbed from them. Jesus took great pains to instruct his disciples about that method. In the same matter, he's instructed us. He's given us the same materials. He's given us the same learning experiences, the same stuff of our faith experience. He chooses you. It's not simply um, a little thing. It's a big thing. It's a big thing to learn to trust God with that. The most important discovery I have learned that people can make about this world is to trust trust him. The other part which pastor touched on this passage, and a reminder, God loves you. Say that with me. God loves me. Say it. God loves me. Do you really believe it? You see, when we learn that, when we understand it, just as he told the disciples, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Jesus never, never, and set this example, doubted God's love for him. Never doubted it. Never doubted it when he went to the cross. Never doubted any part of it. The love of God uh, surrounded the life of our Lord. Surrounded him. All the way to the cross. And can you imagine his disciples learning that, understanding that, hearing this message before he went to the cross. God loves you. They were partners with Jesus. Daily disciples, they witnessed how God and how Jesus coped with the hardships in life. Jesus told the disciples, though, the worst was yet to come. The disciples would have to endure some tough things, so they had to understand the depth of God's love. Just as a couple who thinks everything is about the dissolve. Is there something better than we can give people at Easter to understand the depth? God's love. After Jesus was risen from the disciple, could the disciples better understand the love of God and what just happened? Do you see how it infected them to change the world? We have that same opportunity. The love of Christ is complete. The love of Christ literally conquers all. Amen? But then there's the part that says, you are Christ's friend. In that passage, you are his friend. 
There's an intensity in that. An intensity of God's love in that. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another. No greater love than that is to lay down the life. You are my friends, and if you do what I command, you're no longer a servant. You're my friend. That's, that's, that's relationship. I've made him better known, so I have heard from the Father. See, Jesus deals with us in the most intimate terms possible. Claims to have cemented his relationship with us, and he's laid down his life for it. We can be his friend. We are on intimate terms with God because of what's happened on Easter. There's the so what. What is more? What can be more than we are friends? What more can we rely on? And then it says in that passage, it's ours for the asking. We can ask God. We are now on intimate terms with God Almighty, and we discover uh, that he is so approachable in our relationship. And when I see people feel like they fail, what do you think the lie is that's whispered in their ear? They cannot approach him. Can't come to Jesus, Lord. Lord, help me with this. I'm so confused. I've made these mistakes. Lord, help me. They they hear the slide. It's there for the asking. It is promised in there. And the last part of this, it says that each one of us is appointed. Jesus shared with his disciples the privilege, the privilege God has defined for us. The privilege. He said, he did not choose me, but I chose you. I have appointed you to bear Fruit that will last. I wanted my fruit to last. In my family and in my kids and in my friends and with you. He appointed us. God sent Jesus into this world. But guess what? He sends us. He sends us. God needs my warm heart. God needs our hands. God's love in this world, his empowerment for us to bear fruit. Fruit that will last forever. Forever. That's my so what. So I would tell you today, the power is so wrapped up in, the, in God's word that I want you to remember this one thing, because if you walk away with this and you trust this, just like Pastor Adam said, he loves you. Amen? We're going to close in worship now. I hope your Easter, wasn't those monologues amazing? Didn't they just bring it to reality a little bit?